You are listening to the Missio Tempe podcast. We are a church of missional communities, living as a family of missionary servants for the good of our city. For more information about our church, visit missiotempe.com. We hope this teaching encourages and challenges you to faithfully take up your role in the Missio Day. If you have a Bible with you, I would love for you to turn to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. Ephesians chapter 2, 19 through 22. If you'd like a printed Bible, you have your beautiful devices in front of you. There's three on the back table. We put out faithfully every week, and I don't know if any of them have ever been actually moved from that spot. That's not a condemnation or shame, but they're there available for you. Wow, two of you are going back. Guilt and shame are powerful motivators. We'll see if this happens more than one week. Ephesians chapter 2, 19 through 22, this has been kind of the theme of both last week and the next, this week and, and next. It says this, Ephesians chapter 2, 19 through 22, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people, citizens of a new kind of kingdom, and also members of his household, a family built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building, this temple, is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. This is God's word. God has been on a mission from the very beginning, to redeem and restore all that was broken by sin and rebellion. And this is something I think about all the time. God loves his creation and loves us too much to abandon it. How easy would the end of the story have been if it was just Genesis 3, where, hey, Adam and Eve rebel against God, they're out of God's presence, they're cursed, and the uh, the curse of sin sweeps over all creation for God to say, I'm done. I don't want any part of that. I'm going to restart. But no, he comes looking comes looking for them. He's on a mission to redeem and restore what's broken. He doesn't make junk, and he doesn't junk what he's made. And not only that, is he on a mission to redeem and restore, he invites us, as it says in Ephesians 2, that we're his workmanship made in his image to be partners with God in this renewal project that he's on. That he says, hey, it's not enough that I'm going to send, uh, it is enough, but it's not only that I'm going to send my son Jesus to be the redeemer and restorer of all things, but I'm going to invite you and me I'm going to invite the church to partner with Jesus by the Spirit to renew and restore and see healing and wholeness take place in our world. What a privilege that we get to be God's workmanship, image bearers, reflecting the likeness of our God. And so last week, I tried to give you a picture of what it means to be the kingdom people as citizens and the apostles and the prophets and evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, and how all of us in this room, not just the men, let me make that very clear, all of us in this room and the children as well, have been giving these callings and these gifts of apostolic giftings, of evangelistic giftings, of prophetic giftings, of shepherding, and of teaching. And those are to build up the body together so that we function as a normal, good human body would, but not just for ourselves, but for the sake of the world as citizens of this new kind of kingdom, with Jesus being our king. But this week, I want to talk about the temple imagery here. Now, the temple was this thin space in the Old Testament where heaven and earth collided. They came together like two circles that overlap. The temple was a space where heaven and earth touched, where God's presence that was like in the very beginning where heaven and earth were one in the garden now had a touch point, a place to dwell. 
But not only was it this particular place, but there was supposed to be a particular type of people that were in, to embody this holy place, this set-apart place, set-apart people. And that the goal was that the nations that are looking around Israel as God's people would peer in and would get a glimpse of what God is like by the way that they lived, by the way they were set apart and holy and blameless. They were to be a kingdom of priests on behalf of the world. We can talk a lot about in this church about being God's kingdom citizens and being on mission, but maybe we need to emphasize in different times and seasons what it means for us to be a holy, set-apart people. Here's some of the things I've been thinking about. To be agents of transformation and renewal alongside Jesus, we need to experience that transformation and renewal ourselves. You can't lead others where you haven't journeyed already. Jesus is concerned not only with the ends of the story and how he's going to redeem and restore all things, but also the means in which we do it. He's an ends and means kind of king. I think that's the vision and the calling he's giving us. About uh, six, my timing is always really off. I'm sorry when I tell stories. I can never remember when it was, but it was a time ago, six months at least. And I was reading this book, really religious, uh, holy book, Green Lights by Matthew McConaughey. Anybody familiar? It's, I heard it's better to be listened to than read, but I like to read on my Kindle in the middle of the night, or at least late at night, while my wife and my one-year-old are fast asleep, usually. And I'm reading this book, and it is probably the most amazing, I don't know if it's true, storytelling I've ever heard of any book that I've ever read. Like, I just, I don't know if I want to give an endorsement for it, because there's some parts I'm like, yeah, I don't know if that'd be the best thing to share with everybody. But the storytelling is unbelievable. I could argue he's a better storyteller, Matthew McConaughey, who wrote the book, than he is an actor. Bold statement. Uh, but it's amazing. It's, and the stories are like one by one. I caught myself laughing in the middle of the night. And I'm sure Keaton was like, I talk in my sleep a lot. So she's probably singing one of those episodes. <laughs> but it was so funny. Like there's so many parts where I just could not stop laughing. I could not put the book down. But at one point in the book and in a couple of interviews I watched, because then I got all intrigued in this guy's life. This is, this is how my brain works. Uh, he was describing the process of how he gets ready for a role for a movie. And I don't know if you know about Matthew McConaughey. For a while, he was just like the rom-com actor. Like he couldn't get any other roles. Like, so he said for like three years, he just denied all the roles. People were offering him millions of dollars for all these rom-com roles. And he's like, nope, not going to do it. Like I'm not just going to be the actor that's whatever rom-com movie, like the 10 of them that he's in. I want to, I actually have skills to expand across from that, not just be that guy. And uh, eventually he, he gets a role, but he's, he describes this process of how he, he, he embodies a role. He is like someone who spends a ton of time with the script. He immerses himself in the script of his character. So whoever writes the script, he gets it and he like reads it over and over and over again. He wants to think, to feel, to eat, to think, to have the same, like everything he could possibly do of this person's story. He wants to know where they've been and where they're going. He wants to imagine what they'll be like in 10 years, what they'll be like in 20 years, what they would say in every opportunity or moment, in any interaction, what would they say? How would they respond? He wants to immerse himself so deeply in the script, like he becomes the person, right? 
uh, in a particular role he played in the last couple of years, called a movie called Dallas Buyers Club. The character he played was someone who was very sick. And so he had to lose a ton of weight. He lost 50 pounds in the course of six months, eating salmon, a cup of broccoli two times a day, with some tapioca pudding, and as he would say, all the red wine I could have whenever I wanted. But he was immersed himself in this character. He wanted to embody, not only take on the script of this person's life, but their habits. It's amazing, actually, to see somebody do this kind of work in transformation. And then he gained like 50 or 100 pounds for another role. It's like crazy transformation back and forth. The reason I bring him up is not just because I think he's a cool dude that has some really cool skills. I bring him up because the process in which he prepared for a movie in a role, I think, is very similar to how you and I should prepare and immerse ourselves in the script that God's given us in his story, then to take on the habits of what it means to be God's people so that we could be a holy, set-apart people for God. Like every part of his life was rethought to embody a particular role in a movie. How much more for us as the people of God to rethink, to reimagine, to take on all the habits as we immerse ourselves in the script of God's story, to be a holy set-apart people, not for ourselves, not for our pride or our own arrogance, but so that the world that's watching might peer into our community and get a taste, get a glimpse of what their God is like. That's what I want to be about. We're going to look at a passage today from Ephesians chapter 4 through 5. It's a long passage And it's really going to be describing this process of you were once this way, your old self, but now you've been given this new identity, this new self, not just you as an individual, but as a community. And like I said earlier, as much as God is wanting to see the world transformed out there, as much as he wants that, he won't let you remain unchanged in the process. He wants to see both renewal of the world and renewal of our hearts and our habits. Now, I need to like, I'm doing a bunch of caveating before we get to this passage because it's going to be some challenging words, really challenging. Uh, but I think I, I want to just give one more caveat. Uh, Dallas Willard says, I've been reading this bo- book recently with Willard. He was a, he was a professor at uh, University of Southern California uh, and an amazing Christian. He says, grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. And your temptation, as we're about to read here, is going to be like, hey, how do I try a lot harder through effort to live out these words I'm about to hear? And they're going to be some strong words, strong, high calling, what it means for us to be the temple of God. And your temptation is going to be to just try harder. But I want you to take the approach of, a tra- of, of training instead. Not trying, but training. Think if you're preparing for a marathon. I know somebody in this room that has been preparing one or, or has already done one and is preparing for more. Like the, the day you start the training process, a try harder approach would be like, you know what, tomorrow I've never run before, I've never even exercised, I'm going to try to run 10 miles tomorrow. I'm just going to get up and I'm going to just start running, I'm going to run 10 miles. I'm sorry, if you were to do that, there'd be a lot of things that would go wrong with your body. You might be able to finish it, but you might need a hip replacement by the end of it. If you're training though, it's an incremental process. Maybe at first it's like, I can only run for two minutes maybe one minute, then maybe five minutes, then maybe 10 minutes, then maybe 20 minutes, then maybe 30 minutes, and then maybe eventually an hour, two hours, four hours of running. It doesn't happen all at once. 
It's a process. And the process of transformation of being the holy people of God is something that we live into that we already are in Christ. You become who you already are. Your identity comes first. You're accepted. There's nothing you need to do to earn that. Therefore, you obey. Not, hey, I need to obey and try harder so that I might become accepted. All right. I want to invite us into these words. And my prayer is that because it is God's kindness that leads us to repentance, that these words would not be condemning or shameful. These words would not expose us in ways that would create harm for us. But these words would challenge us to take on the identity we've already been given in Christ. We have nothing to prove. You have no one to impress. But you've been given this rich calling to live into. What if we were to do that? All right, Ephesians chapter 5. I'm going to start in verse 4. Sorry, verse, we're going to start in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. Ephesians 4, verse 17. But I'm going to read all the way till 520. Huge section here. After I read this passage, I'm going to invite you into some smaller groups to kind of process what you hear around a couple particular questions, both for you personally and for us as a community. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 says this. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. He's using the word Gentiles here just to refer to people that aren't part of the story that God has been unfolding. It's not derogatory in some way. It's people that are living in a different story. In the futility of their thinking, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to this hardening of their hearts. The word here for hardening is the word callousness. Like a hardening is like when our hearts and our, like your skin becomes calloused. If you have a really calloused uh, part of your body, especially if it's like your foot, like you could be using it a ton and not feel it, right? But then like you look down and all of a sudden like it's bleeding or something's gone wrong. A callousness that prevents us from actually understanding and have a sensitivity to the ways of God. Verse 19, having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality as to indulge in every kind of impurity. They are full of greed. Greed there, just translate that as always wanting more. Like what you have is never enough. Verse 20, that is, however, not the way of life you've learned. When you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for you're all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Do not give a, the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Notice how beautiful that is. Hey, quit your stealing, but not just so you have enough, but so that you can be generous with others. I love that. Verse 29, do not, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling. Some of you guys have a really hard time with brawling. I know that. Uh, and I'm just kidding. 
and slander along with every form of malice. And if that's you, that's okay. We can, we can meet you there too. Verse 32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just in, as in Christ God forgave you. All right, chapter five. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed because they are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are the light of the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, to find out and to find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, rather expose them. It's shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the, will, the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is God's word. I'd love for you right now, you're going to turn to some people around you. You just heard a huge portion of scripture. You're not going to remember all that was said. You might not even understand all that was said, and that is okay. But I'd love to just give you a couple questions that maybe will give you some opportunities to have some dialogue with your neighbors. Um, let me give you these questions and then sit in silence for a moment, because some of it's very personal, and Max actually might hit you in a way that you're trying to figure out, how do I even share this with a neighbor that maybe is in an appropriate way? But I want you to just sit with these questions. Is there a particular command you heard from this passage that the Holy Spirit is wanting to get your attention with? Why do you think he is leading you there? So is there something that as, you were, as it was being read through that it grabbed your attention? Why do you think that is? And then a communal question. Is there a particular command you heard that the Holy Spirit is wanting to get, your, to get the attention of your community, our church, or MC with? So this isn't just for individuals, but it's for communities to embody. All these commands have to have neighbors involved. What do you think confession and repentance, think of repentance as habit formation, might look like and what the Holy Spirit has brought to mind for both you personally and the community you are a part of? Let me say these again and just sit in the silence for a moment with them. Is there a particular command that you heard that the Holy Spirit is wanting to get your attention with? Why do you think he's leading you there? Is there a particular command you heard that the Holy Spirit is wanting to get the attention of your community, MC, or our very church with as well? Just sit in silence for a moment, and I'd love for you to dialogue with some people around you, and I'll call you to it in just a second.
All right, let me call you back. I'd like to invite you into silence once again just for a moment. And just in the silence of the room, I'd love for you just to ask the Holy Spirit to cement whatever has kind of settled in your heart, whether it was a particular command or something your neighbor shared. Would he cement that thing in your heart? And right now, I'd just love for you in the silence to ask him, what is, what is the Spirit inviting you to do in response? So what came to mind? What's, what's coming up? And then what is something maybe simple, not complex, simple that the Spirit is inviting you to do as an act of repentance, of change, knowing that you are loved and seen and you are enough. You have nothing to prove and no one to impress. You are accepted, therefore you obey. What is he inviting you to do? The good news of the gospel is that Jesus meets us where we are at. He doesn't want us to stay there. Jesus came to find Adam and Eve in the garden, but he didn't want them to stay in their shame, condemnation, and guilt. He wanted them to be forgiven and released and liberated for you as well. He wants to meet you where you're at. Maybe one of the commands that you just heard brought up a level of conviction, which would be easy to dismiss and say, ah, like, ah, that's all just condemnation and shame. But actually, maybe there's an invitation there to come to the light, to be exposed. Exposure in God's kingdom is always for our good, never for our harm, although it might be quite painful to experience it. I'm just going to give you four things that I heard from this passage that we're invited into as a people. In an age of tabloids and Twitter wars, we become people who listen, encourage, and elevate others as better than ourselves. Like, what would it look like for us to be people that listen to people that we disagree with and not look for just to find a good response or a kickback, a callback, but to say, hey, I actually really want to understand where you're coming from. In an age of Tinder and terabytes of pornography, we become a people who are sexually faithful to spouses and sexually faithful to God in our singleness. There's a conference coming up uh, in a couple weekends, actually... Two weekends, is that what it is? There's a guy named Jay Stringer. He's a psychologist. He's written a number of books. It's going to be at Redemption Gilbert's campus. It's called the Holistic or Whole Sexuality Conference. I've read Jay's book, and uh, he's got some really helpful paradigms and dynamics for us to experience healing and that, that core and central part of what it means to be human. I'd love for you to consider going. The, the price on it was pretty cheap. It was like 40 to $60, I think. Um, and I think his approach to trying to see healing and wholeness is quite dynamic and different than maybe much of you have experienced in the church. And it's from a place of being story formed. So I just want to encourage you with that. If you need more information, you can talk to me about that. The third one, in an age of endless distraction and restlessness, we become a people who order our schedules and our very lives around the ways of Jesus and his kingdom. It says, make the most of every opportunity Live as wise, not as unwise. Like, how do we orient our schedules and lives around? Just use the blessed rhythms maybe as a simple tool to bless, listen, eat, speak, and Sabbath. 
What if like that's how we started our weeks and that was, what the, that was the framework in which we lived? And then lastly, for in an age of insatiable appetites for more, we become a people who are deep, deeply grateful to God who graciously provides for us and cultivates in us hearts of generosity towards others. We are so inundated in a culture of that what you have is not enough. Your relationships, your stuff, your appearance, like it is so deeply ingrained, we don't even see it. What you have is not enough. You need more. You need this experience or this person or this thing. And the beauty of this passage is, hey, be grateful for what you've been provided. You have everything you need. You have everything you need. And when you have that kind of freedom, they have everything you need, generosity flows right towards others. I, have not, I, don't, I don't need to gain anything else. I can be generous with my time and my resources because I have everything I need. This is a challenging passage. It could be 10 sermons, to be honest, but it's just one. But I hope that something's been stirred in you as an invitation as we walk out here in just a couple moments to live into whatever maybe Jesus is inviting you to, whatever ways of repentance and light of his grace and mercy and his kindness that he's inviting us to as individuals, as individuals and as a people. I'm gonna lead us each week, uh, lead us right now as we do each week to the communion table. Just like Matthew McConaughey was, uh, I gave you the picture of him being someone who rehearses himself in a script and takes on the habits and lifestyle of a character. We, in a much better way than some kind of random Hollywood script, we get to rehearse ourselves in the story and script of Jesus himself. And every week we take on his death and his resurrection. We take his body and his blood as this great rehearsal for us to live lives that are faithful to the script, faithful to the story, and that this table would then shape our habits and our practices and ultimately shape our hearts. And so I'm gonna invite you in a second to the table. Sarah Hamilton and I, she's just gonna find this out and shocking surprise is gonna be serving today the table. And we have a special, maybe a special guest. He's washing his hands because he takes this seriously. Michael Lynn is gonna be also serving with us and breaking the bread, which the breaking of the bread is, is significant because it showcases that Jesus has been broken and given on our behalf. And we'd love to have more and more kids. I'm gonna call some other kids out before you know it to be called to breaking the bread as well. But Micah's gonna be breaking the bread for us today. And I'm gonna invite you to stand and recite the mystery of our faith. Let me read first from 1 Corinthians. It says this, for I received from the Lord, which I also passed on to you, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's say this together. This is the mystery of our faith. Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. Come and receive.